In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth, who are all sold out of everything they have right now across the GTA. So, uh, you know, the support that Funny Bone Broth has given us over the years has been terrific. And the support that you in turn, uh, the listener, have given Funny Bone Broth has been awesome to the point where they are now sold out of everything. So they'll be back to the kitchen soon and uh, able to provide you with some more Funny Bone Broth. I am Ben Grant. Joined as always by JB. Man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. We're going to try and condense uh, some of the things that we've got uh, on the docket. A lot of player moves, uh, four players added, four players lost. We're going to talk a lot about the double blue game today because, you know, you and I, JB, got to see uh, all the action on on Sunday night. And it was nice to see some some football being, being played again, even though it was just a an inter-squad scrimmage. I think that was really cool. Got a little bit of a CBA update. We're not going to pound you over the head with CBA updates because there's so much of that out there. I'm I'm tired of it myself, but we want to address a couple things. And then we'll give you our plan for the preseason game in Ottawa this week. All that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. A lot of signings this week, JB. It's it, pretty typical this time of year uh, to have this many roster moves and yeah, four guys coming in, four guys on their way out, uh, sort of. Uh, let's let's go through some of these guys. So the first one, the guy on their way in, it's a bit misleading, I guess, because he is a draft pick, but Deontay Knight signing, uh, you know, the day after I think we recorded last week, this was really good to see because to me, this means that their gamble paid off. Remember, he's a second round pick. Deontay Knight, to me, was the second best player available in, in the draft. And most people saw it that same way too. But you and I both felt he slid down the board because there was a real chance he ended up in the States and nobody wanted to spend a first-round draft pick on a guy that wasn't even going to show up this year. The Argos take him. They couldn't resist right at the top of round two. That pays off right away because here he is signing and he's in camp. That's that's huge for their draft class. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you know, he it's great to see his, his desire to to commit to a CFL career and that's great talent that we added. And, uh, you know, I think that's just really another, another proof of what a, what a great draft it was. And the guys that I talked to in Tampa Bay and Washington that cover those teams did say, he, you know, he looked fantastic in Washington. He wasn't really able to stand out too much in Tampa Bay, the way that they ran their, um, their rookie minicamp, but in Washington, he really impressed. He was just in a bad situation where they've got, you know, they spent a second round pick on, on you know, one of their own guys. They've got undrafted free agents they signed. They're just not going to take a, a guy that wasn't even signed to a UDFA contract, a Canadian as well. Uh, they just weren't going to take a chance on it. So it's sort of bad luck for him, but great news for the Argos in that uh, sense because he's up here at least for at least for this season anyway. And he was contributing right away. He 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 has the look uh, out there. He's he's a much bigger individual than I imagined. Uh, you know, I saw him I, I saw him play U Sports obviously, but uh, I was surprised at just how large he is when he's they're next to guys like Hendricks and uh, Champong and, you know, the rest of that D-line, you know, guys that are massive. 
Uh, he does not look at all out of place. So I'm excited to to see him. We got to see him a little bit, a little bit in camp, you know, limited uh, in the scrimmage, but he will be a contributor this year. So it was great to to get him signed and out there on the field so he can get caught up. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be the wet blanket. I think I agree. He does look, he actually does look quite, quite big. I mean, he's still, it's kind of a weird, it's still kind of a tweener vibe, you know, because like he's, you know, he's not quite big enough for, for the, you know, to play tackle. Um, is he a little too big to be on the outside? So that, you know, uh, I'm I'm hoping to see what he can do. I'm excited about a player like that. I, I agree with you, but I think that's less a CFL problem and more an NFL problem. Guys get shut out of the league when there are tweeners like that. You do see guys succeed in the CFL that are sort of tweeners because you can count so heavily on most of the plays being passes. And so when you don't have to worry about run defense, like you can see, you know, like during the scrimmage, for example, we saw we saw Shane Ray playing on the inside. Now that wasn't a regular thing for him. But you're able to, when you know, when you really sense, okay, this is got is 100% going to be a pass here, to throw a speed guy inside, or you know, to throw, um, you know, somebody in a position that, you know, where you might be worried about them being run on, um, you know, I think you could have them on the inside most of the time. I, I wouldn't put them on the inside necessarily on on short yardage situations, but I think given yeah. that most teams are passing most of the time. I don't think he's too small to be on the inside. And we saw him line up, you know, all the way out to, uh, you know, a wide nine. He lined up on the edge, lined up uh, inside at nose. You, you can put him anywhere. And I, I think that I think that's a real weapon in the CFL. So I'm not too worried about the the sort of tweener status that he, he may or may not no, have. No, I think, I think, yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what they do with him. Um, because he definitely does have the size to him that he wouldn't get washed out inside there. Yeah, it's, it's not like he's 200 pounds. You know, he's he's a big man. Yeah. And so, you know, he can hold his own. The next line the Argos made was American defensive back Robert Priester, uh, 5'9", 180, uh, out of Wyoming. He's had a little bit of CFL experience. So he started with Winnipeg. I think he got on the field in two different games. One of those was a start. This is back in 2018. Signed with Edmonton for 2019, but he didn't end up making that roster uh, spent some time with the Tampa Bay Vipers of the XFL. The Bombers brought him back this year to take a look, but he was just cut uh, about a week ago. And so Toronto brought him in and, you know, he'll be competing for that that field corner spot, uh, battling for, I, I guess, for the right to be Jalen Collins' backup. Um, but yeah, he's 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 a player. Uh, I like him. I, I enjoyed watching his film. I, I'm not sure what happened to him in, in Winnipeg or in Edmonton previously, but He's, he's really quick. I, I guess he's not big, and maybe that's the, the knock some people have on him, especially teams that are going with a, a Canadian uh, field corner. But, you know, with the system here, with the Argos seemingly going ahead with two American corners, I think he's got a legitimate fight uh, for that backup to Jalen Collins because, yeah, he, he's quick, he's strong, uh, and, and he's, he's good against the run too. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what the Argos do with him. The other guy that was brought in this week, uh, linebacker Jonathan Jones, uh, 5'11", 230. Toledo most recently, but he started his career at Notre Dame. Played, I think he played three seasons at Notre Dame before transferring to Toledo. And he was a huge part of that Rockets uh, defense this past season. Uh, he's mostly a middle linebacker. He can play that will spot, and he did a little bit of that at Toledo. I don't love him at will in the CFL, 
it, to me, it's just it's, there's just too much ground, and to me, he's got you know Mac written all over him, and so and even his build, he you know he looks he looks pretty much like like Enoch Mwamba. So the thing that concerns me here, I, I like him as a player a lot. His film looks really good. He was one of the defensive leaders out there. It's basically him and the and the free safety who was who was drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals that were um, the uh, you know the 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 real players on that defense. So I like that part of it. I worry here that he's being brought in to be the backup to Enoch Mwamba. Maybe this is going to be a position that is not going to be Canadian going forward. Uh, that has to raise your eyebrows, right? Well, I think you 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 put your finger on it in the article is, uh, you know, with Kassar, uh being hurt again. And, you know, he, he had kind of a injury plague first year. Um you know, I think they're probably looking to to shore up that position, and yeah, they might they might be pivoting away from that. You know, um, you know, Kassar's, uh sort of uh, brother in arms, if you will. Uh, you know, uh, Hoyt seems to have uh, a stronger grasp on a spot. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because you look at this. The you know, if you look at um jones he look he's he's a player i think of of the people he signed or that the argo signed he is the one that i think has the best chance to to make this opening day squad i think that he you know he has good measurables um you know i don't think he's going to be a star but can he be a backup a middle linebacker yeah i think definitely i would i would i would put him on the uh the short list uh at the in the linebacker position yeah, I don't think there's much question. I love his film. And he, like you said, he's not a flashy player. Like, he's not a guy that's going to have a ton of highlights. He's really disciplined. He does his job. He lets everyone else do their jobs. Um, and he's just a, he's a smart football player. And we've seen how much that matters to uh, this coaching staff and, uh, you know, to this management. Um, they love intelligent football players. And he's another one of those guys. So, yeah, I, I, I think just right away before even really seeing him on the field, I think he's got a really good shot at making this team. And yeah, I worry about what this team's long-term plan might be at, at middle linebacker because I'm I'm pulling for Kassar. You know, he's he's one of our guys and and I loved watching him uh, playing at Carlton. I think he has what it takes to be a great CFL yeah, he, middle linebacker. Totally. He he just needs, you know, like, like you, you see it sometimes. It's really unfortunate Um you know, players starting a career and they just can't string together six games without an injury, you know, and, and you know, and it's just, and sometimes you get buried on the depth chart. Uh, so I really hope, you know, that he's, he's able to, to come all the way back and, and put some valuable time in because I've, you just see it so often. A uh, young player gets hurt early and, you know, it's just, you know, the, the train keeps going and sometimes you fall off the fall off onto the onto the road. The last signing that the Argos made this week was uh, American Jake Night King Halava, who's a defensive end 6'3", 251 uh, at a Grand Valley State previously with Northern Illinois. Night King, first of all, let's we got to talk about that nickname for a second. This, <laughs> this is a fantastic nickname. Yeah, and where it comes from is he does the 
if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you've seen the Night King, you know, how he raises his arms to, is he raising the dead when he does that? I think that's what he's doing, right? Bringing zombies back to life? Uh, that is, yeah, part of it. I, I don't think he has to be bringing people back. I think it's just his He, his he just does that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a pretty awesome moment. Like when he does that, it's, it's such a powerful move. Anyway, that is, that, that is Jake Clava's sack celebration is the Night King's move. And so he started getting called the Night King. So in a in a league with a history of awesome nicknames, there have been some amazing ones. My favorite still is is Gizmo Williams. I think that's my and it's it's such an awesome Gizmo Williams was was amazing. Everyone just you know everyone just called him Gizmo and you knew who it was. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think Pin, Knight, Pinball you know, Clemens on that list. He's gonna have a harder road uh, than Jones to make the team. However. Yeah, he he doesn't. He's another guy that doesn't. There's not one thing that stands out. He doesn't have you know elite speed or elite size or or anything like that. He he's a good player. Um, he's got some really nice moves. Again, seems intelligent. And what I say, when, you know, what I mean when I say seems intelligent, when you watch a few of his games sort of strung together, the moves he uses, the techniques that he employs are different each game. And he's obviously done film study in preparation. Now, some of that, maybe that's the coaching staff, maybe that's the, the defensive coordinator, maybe that's the, the line coach, maybe it's himself. But he goes into each matchup with a different strategy and he seems to be trying to pick on a team's weakness. And so initially when you watch him, like if you just watch his, his highlights, for example, you would say, well, this is a guy that just takes too many risks. He's cutting inside when he's he's got contained responsibilities, completely abandoning that. But when you watch full game film on him, he's not actually doing that. He's he's picking his moments. You know, he he's he knows when he knows when the play is going away. He knows their tendency to run versus pass. He knows when he can take a chance. And that to me um, is what I pick up on and say, yeah, that's a, that's a smart player. That's that's somebody that has studied the opponent and knows exactly what he's doing. So, and the other reason I like a signing like this is he, you mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago. I don't remember who it was. I think it was when we, when we brought in that, that kid from Alaska. Um, when you bring in somebody from a small school, as you know, someone from Grand Valley state, you know, when's the last time you heard anyone talk about Grand Valley state in Michigan, when you bring in someone like that, it, raises eyebrows because somebody has talked to you about that player. Somebody has talked to one of the coaches, somebody has talked to one of the scouts or or the management team about this player because it's not this is not the same as bringing someone in from LSU or Florida State or or wherever. So somebody clearly is like, "Hey, you guys have to take a look at this kid." And the CFL is filled with players like that from strange schools that you would never otherwise have heard of like slippery rock you uh, and someone has just come in and made a name for themselves to even out rosters the argos had to release some players so we saw the retirement of arjun uh Colhoun. arjun Colhoun retiring is upsetting for me he's a you know canadian corner that we really didn't get to see too much of i was excited about his signing uh, last season, going into last year, of course, he had success at, out in Edmonton. He was a Michigan State Spartan, regarded as one of the the top players in his draft class. I think he was rounded. I think he was ranked number four overall by the scouting bureau in his in his draft year. And you know, a, a guy that we were so excited to come in and be that starting field corner last year, he ended up getting hurt, and the Argos had to switch. They basically decided when he was injured. They decided, okay, I guess we're going to have to go American at that spot. And they had enough Canadians starting elsewhere where they could actually do that. And then when he finally came back in, 
he suffered that gruesome leg injury last season against Montreal, um, which I think anyone who watched that game, you, re- you remember just, you know, seeing the faces of his teammates and, you know, tears streaming down their faces as they, they watched him get cart off. And, and that was, you know, unfortunately the last, um, the last time he'd be on the, on the field as, as a player, as it turns out. And so he is calling it a career. So, uh, Matt Gledhill receiver was also released. Um, the Matt Gledhill release surprised me a little bit because the Argos only just picked him up. I think what was sort of interesting about this is that remember Gledhill was picked up pre-draft. He was at the Eastern Combine. His vertical was hugely impressive at the Eastern Combine, and that got a lot of people's attention. And because of his age and status, he didn't need to actually go through the draft because he'd already been through that process. He'd already been eligible. And so the Argos basically just after that combine are like, can we can we just sign this guy? They're like, yeah, okay, well, let's, let's sign him then. Because I think if he's a draft pick, I don't think they would let him go at this point. I think they would feel sort of bound. Um, you know, it makes sense to hang on to him. Um, but because they ended up taking pre-draft, they, they felt okay about doing that. And I, I think we just saw, like, you know, you and I, saw that on on Sunday the Argos have so many big Canadian receivers and when you see you know we know what Tommy Neal can do and then you see Sam Baker out there who's basically the same kind of build uh as as Matt Gledhill same same job that he does same kind of player and I guess you only need so many of those guys and unfortunately it was a a numbers game for for Matt Gledhill and who knows I mean maybe they bring him back yeah, they may. Uh, he, I, I thought he looked good. Uh, I love his size, but Sam Baker was just so impressive. Sam, Sam Baker is so large now. He still moves extremely well. He's such a big guy. I think he's forgotten that he's a receiver. His his legs are tree trunks. He's he, they, you know, we'll we'll get a little bit to the double blue game, but you know, running him on on jet sweeps, he's a mismatch on the outside. Uh, catching balls over the middle, he's got really nice hands. He's just such a load when he gets moving in space so you know i'm hoping he gets some time on the field this year but yeah when you're competing against against sam baker and tommy neal it's it's tough and yeah hopefully we do see matt gledhill back and i'm hoping he gets picked up somewhere else if if not back here but uh yeah he was unfortunately released this week uh cam glenn uh, also released american defensive back we didn't really get too much of a chance to see cam glenn and i sort of had him penciled in backing up somewhere one of the halfback spots um the defensive backfield is just so rich so you know when they had to make a corresponding move with one of the signings we talked about it just made sense to um to release a defensive back who really wasn't uh, in the mix for a starting spot especially after some of the other guys that are competing for backup spots played so well uh, at that scrimmage And then the fourth guy uh, who isn't leaving permanently, thank goodness, is Theron Churchill, who's uh, taken some time to uh, be with his partner who's expecting. This is their first child. And, you know, he went on on Twitter and explained, you know, he didn't have to do any of this, but he just wanted to explain to Argo fans why he was stepping away and why this was so important to him. And I, I love this. I was so happy for him to be in a position where he's able to do this because, in his position, I would have done the exact same thing. To be there for the birth of your child, who's due, I believe, this week. Uh, you know, if if you can do it, and the Argos have been so supportive over the last few years, especially with people that have uh, been uh, dealing with personal situations, I guess that kind of falls under this umbrella as well. Um, they've, you know, wished them the best. You know, we'll be here when you get back, when you're ready, let us know. And, 
and we'll welcome you back in. And that's the case here with Theron Churchill. So I was happy to see that the team, um, I, I felt really dealt with that situation uh, extremely well and gave him the confidence that, you know, he needed to go out and, and do this. JB, let's talk about the double blue game. Uh, so you and I sat at a kind of windy, kind of cold alumni stadium in Guelph on Sunday night for the double blue game. Kind of a weird scrimmage. Coach Dinwiddie uh, gave it his own sort of flavor. It was hard to follow at times. You had teams starting, and they weren't even really concrete teams. There was mixing and matching all over the place. And sometimes you're starting at the uh, opposition's 22-yard line. Sometimes you're starting at your own five. There are different situational things they had going. Uh, Limited special teams play, but it was nice to watch some Argos football again. And I think we took in a fair amount. But just before we get to that, what did you think of the setup? What did you think of the, you know, the the setup of the game itself and the way they ran it? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it depends what they want to do. If, you know, there wasn't a huge crowd. I I don't think they were expecting a crowd. I don't think it was for a crowd. I think if you wanted it for a crowd, um, I probably would have um, found some way to potentially have an announcer. You know, I think there are things you might have done if if you were interested in, you know, having this be an event. It felt more, which is fine. Like it felt more like we were observing a practice than we were participating in um, a scrimmage being put on for fans. So I would, I I would. There are things I would tweak if if the goal was to to have it for fans. And I don't think it was like because no. they could have had an announcer. The you know the the PA announcer Adam was sitting with us, so you know he was he was right there. He could have gone up and and announced the game, but clearly they didn't want that. And if they'd wanted this to be a huge fan event, they you know they would have announced this in, well in advance. We would have known about it. It was basically announced the you know, the the night before or the the morning of, um, and it you know it wasn't done yeah, in a huge it, broadcast no, I, way. I, I think it was it was for the team. I think they were. Yeah. They were curious to to see some full team reps and and kind of take a look quickly um, at what people look like in 12s. Because, as you know, like a lot of times you just you, you can't tell from drills. Um, you can't tell until you're actually out there, uh, even in non-contact. Um, you, you know, you immediately see, oh, OK, that guy's a step slow or that guy's got some real pop you know you it's it's amazing actually how much a scrimmage reveals yeah and you know having having watched a a practice uh the day before or two days before um the i guess it was the day before the saturday practice uh to go from saturday practice to the sunday night scrimmage was uh amazing how much difference there is like you say because the you know the speed is different guys that didn't stand out necessarily in in drills and in one-on-ones maybe uh who suddenly did pop when you know when you're looking at them in in this setting and there were a few players that really did stand out just before we get into individual players um i thought i thought it was kind of interesting um little details like and it, this is such a i think this is such a, a coach Dinwiddie thing uh because he is an attention to details guy the national anthem to start the scrimmage i thought was interesting just to go through the procedure of it right you've got you know you've got officials there and the teams uh standing on the sideline for the national anthem it's unusual to do that in an an event that's not made for fans like you you don't have the national anthem at the beginning of practice 
Uh, but I think that's just one of those things where he wanted to sort of simulate the environment as best he could uh, before the team uh, heads out, we think, uh, to Ottawa this Friday for their, their first preseason game. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Let's talk about uh, some of the, the players that stood out. Maybe we can go through this uh, positionally. We saw all four quarterbacks get uh, a fair amount of action. Mostly it was uh, McLeod Bethel-Thompson and Antonio Pipkin. They took by far the most uh, snaps and they certainly attempted the most passes. Uh, I had McLeod Bethel-Thompson as, uh, with 13 attempts and Pipkin with 12 attempts. Uh, Pipkin with more dropbacks in total. Um, Chad Kelly with only five passes. Uh, Austin Simmons with five passes as well. Uh, what did you take away from the quarterbacks? Um, well, I took away that Macbeth had a large pillow strapped to his leg. So that was concerning. Um, yeah, I didn't like to see his, you know, his oof. knee or his calf wrapped up. He seemed to have like a sort of a sleeve I mean, I was uh, like, on his I, left I, leg. I like, it seemed a bit like, you know, are we, are we having him? It, it, it seemed unusual to me that somebody would be that wrapped and get and doing reps in practice. That seems more like you know, you've got one leg, but you're trying to win a playoff game. Usually that would be, uh, that would be a sit down. Uh, I, I was surprised that he was involved at all in the, uh, in the practice. If, if he's got that significant wrap on his leg, um, you know, it seemed, that seemed odd to me. That sort of stood out. Um, I thought he made some great throws. You know, he, um, again, you know, like he's, there's tons of arm uh, made a couple of throws where he just like, that's a professional quarterback, um, you know, right on the money. Uh, I'd love to see them try and use the middle of the field a little more with him. Um, Chad Kelly, uh, he's got real zip on the ball too. Um, I think that, you know, like any rookie, the game is moving very fast for him and he's, he's not necessarily, uh, able to push the ball down the field um, as as much as as you would like to see, you know. I really that's my thing with with young quarterbacks is, uh, you know, the check down is, you know, is is it's like we, it's weird. Like if you're a veteran quarterback and you're checking down, that's smart. To me, if you're a young quarterback and you're checking down, it's different. Because I think you're checking down because you're not seeing downfield. I would I would love to see him try and push the ball more downfield, even if that means interceptions. I think I think it's better for his development to to keep his eyes downfield and not not quickly drop to the check down. But look, he's he he definitely has zip on the ball. You know, he he really did stand out. So I thought that was exciting. Did he look to you just, and I know it's hard to, for us to explain, because I'm imagining he did look to you as he did to me, like the second best quarterback out there? Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I think so. I think he, you know, I think he's clearly, I think he's clearly the backup. Um, now, how do you explain that? Because I, w- I was having trouble explaining that to someone this week, because he goes, you know, he, we had him uh, as going two for five for 21 yards, taking two sacks. So how do you look at at those stats and say, yeah, you know, he, he looked pretty good. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that he, his, um, his velocity is certainly professional, professional ready. Um, I liked his ability to scramble and move as often as the case of young quarterbacks. 
um, being off schedule, he was able to make some things happen. Um, so I like that too. I, and I think, you know, you put those two things together. I think that he was um, a little bit better than Pipkin, but not, not noticeably, you know, I mean, I think, I think Pipkin looked fine as well. Um, made some good throws, made some bad throws, but I think Kelly's got a, a more electric arm. So that's probably, and you know, he's a new, new shiny toy. So there's probably some of that bias in there too. Kelly was fun to watch. And there, there were a couple of throws he made one that I thought the, the refs just blew dead way too early. They were trying to, you know, it's, it's, I don't blame the refs because if they had blown it too late, the coaches would have been screaming at them for the next month. You don't want to risk quarterbacks getting even touched in a scrimmage. Uh, but yeah, this play, there was someone closing in on him. I don't remember which of the registered sacks it was, but Kelly had time and he just launched one about 25 yards downfield, connected, uh, beautiful catch, and yet... It didn't count because the refs had blown it dead a split second before he released that ball. And in a real game, he would have had time to release it cleanly, just like he did. And he would have he would have been hit right after he threw. But um, you know, but that's you know that that's the job. That's that's what quarterback is. And it was unfortunate. But a play like that, you look at that and you say, yeah, that was a that was a professional play. He bought himself a little bit of time and found an open receiver, fired it in there, and and he would have taken that hit. But yeah, that to me is plays like that. And then there was another one pretty close to the end zone where he just found a way to get the ball out of there. He didn't step into it. And that's something that he'll, he'll have to learn. And um, especially with the the bigger field that he's not used to. Cause I think that on, you know, he's, he sees a guy sort of in the corner of the end zone. He does the wrist flick to quickly get it out there, not realizing it's an extra 10 yards away uh, than it usually would be on the American field he's used to, but just the play that the, oh, <laughs> the sort of awareness, I guess that he had there is what impresses me. So yeah, I loved his presence. And again, not to uh, knock Antonio Pipkin, I thought the scrimmage just isn't set up for his skill set. There were many occasions where in a game he would have scrambled, he would have found yards, but that's not what you want to do in a setup like this. Like no one wants the, the quarterback to be, you know, running on broken plays in a scrimmage. That doesn't help you evaluate anybody else. No, I, so I, he took he took four sacks, but th- that's not a realistic yeah, number. Yeah, I, I thought he looked I thought he looked fine too. I didn't, you know, um but uh, you know, Kelly's arm is clearly electric. I think you're watching it and any football fan can you know you just you just see electric it's like like watching a guy throws 98 you're like okay maybe this is something maybe it's not but uh you know you have my attention is he the guy you're most interested in seeing friday night um hmm, that is a good question because for me it is there's about 10 guys i really want to see but for me he's number one i want to see what he looks like in a live game um I, not really, just because I don't think, like, is he just, I think he, you know, like, the likelihood of of Friday being good is so low for him. You know, like, I just don't think he'll have had the, you know, the, I, I don't know how great a look we're going to get, you know, for him on Friday. Um, I'm, I'm more interested in the wide receivers, truthfully. Yeah, and I can't knock you for that. They are like the because you know, we'll, and we'll talk about that a bit more when we get into previewing that 
that Ottawa matchup. But yeah, there's so many good receivers fighting for backup spots. Uh, let's jump ahead to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna bypass running back because we you know we couldn't see it's it was basically one hand touch, and so you know poor AJ Willette with his five carries for seven yards because. You know, he's running right up the middle and the referees just blow it dead as soon as he gets the handoff because someone comes near him. And so you didn't really get a good sense of that. Um, I was hoping we might be able to see a little bit more Andrew Harris, but rather correctly, they gave him one carry and and called that a day. So we can't really talk too much about running backs. But yeah, let's talk about those receivers. This is a huge battle for those backup spots. We know right now, just based on what we saw them trot out there, it, it looked like we're going with... Uh, Deveris Daniels, Eric Rogers to the boundary. It's looking like Markeith Ambles uh, to the inside, Banks in the middle of that trips to the field, and Curly Gittins Jr. at Z. And then there's a bunch of guys um, in the backup roles. And I know uh, Jawan Breskison's a, a bit banged up right now. He sat out of the scrimmage. Um, and so, you know, he's obviously in the picture for those starting spots as well. But after that, it is a mess of really talented receivers. Who did you like? Uh, there, I, even though I am fed, I'm I'm interested in 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 seeing them on Friday night. I didn't feel anybody really popped. Uh, you know, the, as is always the case, or almost always the case, the defense is far ahead of the offense in terms of install and the speed at which they are able to to react to things. Where the offense needs you know so much more timing and so many more reps. Um, so like the offense just had a really hard time. Um, all, all evening, which is not unusual, especially against a very good defense. So I didn't feel <clears throat> like any wide receiver really popped for me, but I think that that will be different against Ottawa. I think that, uh, you know, it's it's a little easier to play a team that doesn't know all your plays cold. Where <laughs> Toronto, you know, I mean, the defense knows what, what little Toronto has put in, you know, they go up against it. So, they, you know, they were basically like a team that did fantastic film study. They were, you know, they were running the routes for them. They were all over everything the offense was doing. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I, I liked Isaiah Wright, A.J. Richardson as well. Those two really stood out uh, for me. Isaiah Wright, I've got my eye on because of the special teams addition uh, that he could really be. He's a fantastic punt and kick returner. But see him run routes. Did he catch uh, you know, that? Him, did he catch that out uh, for the touchdown? Yeah. No, that was that was Jamari Hester that they yeah, caught the that touchdown. Yeah, gorgeous. gorgeous. Oh, he was beautiful. I know, and everyone was talking about Jamari Hester after the game. He, he ended up with two catches, I think, thirty-four yards. I've got him down for on that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that twenty-two yard out. Um, it was just such a perfect throw from McLeod Bethel Thompson. And Hester's a tough guy to cover because he's he's six six. But the Argos have so many of those big guys. Like their strategy seems to be, and I, I don't know if this is a, a Coach Dinwiddie thing or a or Vince Magri thing. They have so many giant receivers. Uh, every single one of them is like 6'2 and up. And trying to stay with Jamari Hester, who's a size mismatch, when he can move like that and get to the out like that. Because I, when McLeod let go of that ball, I didn't think I didn't think there was any way Hester was going to get there. He not only got there, he was able to sort of toe tap uh, as he was going out of bounds, it was a beautiful play. But uh, yeah, I was more impressed with with Isaiah Wright and AJ Richardson just for what, what they were able to do in space and you know just finding open areas of the field because you often see it's it's different receivers in 
the U.S. versus Canada, it's very different. The, the focus on route running in the States is very different from how it is in Canada because there's so much more space here. Route running, it's all about precision and, you know, the sort of exact nature of it in the States because you're dealing with such small spaces. In the CFL, it's about an instinct, especially in zone coverage, an instinct for finding open spaces far more than it is the route running. And that's something that Isaiah Wright and AJ Richardson seemed to grasp immediately. And while they weren't always hit, I think they each had four catches, but uh, they were open a lot. They they were really good at finding space, especially those those short routes and their mismatches too. So I, I like those guys a lot. I thought Ernest Edwards had a couple of really nice plays, great jumping catch that he made. So I'm excited about his addition. I've already talked a bit about Sam Baker and just how gigantic he is uh, out there. I don't. I want to know. I want his updated. I want his updated weight uh, because he looks like a fullback. Uh, and I know that's sort of what he was trying to be last year uh, before deciding to go back to school for another year. But man, that is a large receiver. I'm excited about. So, I, and I'm, yeah, re- I'm excited to see the return game too. Obviously, we didn't we didn't get much of a look at that. So, yeah, and it's, it's tough to tell. And a couple of those guys went back for for returns. You know, Javon Leak, the running back, uh, was back there and. Uh, and, you know, we already talked about Isaiah Wright being a, a potential guy in the return game, too. So, you know, that we will get to see in Ottawa. And I'm, ex- I'm excited about punt returns and kick returns. Uh, O-line, uh, they technically gave up a lot of sacks, but I'm not really worried about that because they weren't real sacks to me. Only two of them were maybe three uh, were, were real sacks. And those weren't really on that first unit. I thought considering Peter Nicastro is still out, and I guess we're expecting him to be out probably a few games into the season at this point. Uh, I, I thought I thought Lawrence held up fairly well at center. And the rest of the line, I thought, looked, looked really good. You've got um, Darius Bladek uh, at right guard, um, Philip Blake left guard. Isaiah Cage is playing left tackle. It's great to see him back. And then Dejon Allen, who... Dejon Allen was, was so instrumental last year in playing left tackle because when Cage went down last year we didn't know where they were going to go Allen has a great year at left tackle they move him over to the right and some guys can just do it very seamlessly some guys can't and he seems to be one of those guys with no problems at all he's played almost his entire career you know when he was at Hawaii he was a you know left guard left tackle I think he had a little bit of center play, but never on the right side. And there he is uh, playing right tackle. And yeah, it looked fantastic. So I'm not worried about the starting group. I have concerns about depth on the O-line because we saw a big difference when those other guys came in. Uh, and, you know, we watched Gregor McKellar uh, a little bit, the the first round draft pick for the Argos. I thought he, I thought he looked like he belonged. Uh, he had, I guess, one rookie moment when... When Shane Ray uh, sort of took him to school on a speed move, which you just don't see a lot from the guard position, but I th- I thought he held up all right. You thought McCullough looked looked decent, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought that was that was pretty. It was a pretty cheap move. I I mean, I, it's pretty unusual to bring Ray in on the inside like that. That that to me is <laughs> seemed a little little offside. I'm like, come on, in a in a scrimmage, you're gonna bring Ray inside just to just to speed step the kid. Um, you know, so my eyebrow was raised at that a little bit because uh, unless I see Ray inside once during the regular season, um, you know, we'll see about that. Yeah, I, th- I thought he looked good. He didn't look out of place. Um, thought he anchored well. Um, you know, they're obviously they're <laughs> you don't really get a sense of alignment until you start seeing a lot more twists. Um, but uh, I thought for a straight bull rush, he 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 held his own. 
and they were certainly keen to have him, um, if not roll with the ones, at least you know twos and some one stuff. So um, yeah, I, th- I thought I thought it looked good. You know, I think you can, you know, you can tell a lot, and he, you know, he didn't he didn't uh, he didn't seem to be lost out there. So that that was encouraging. The defense looked outstanding. Uh, I don't know if we need to break it down position by position because, again, we we didn't see... The defensive starters were out there probably a little bit more than the offensive starters were, you know, especially like offensive receivers. The, the starters were, were barely out there at all. The coaches really wanted to see the sort of second and, and third tier of, of the guys that they've got out there. That starting defensive unit is really good. And then there are a couple of guys that really stood out who are going to be competing for 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 backup spots like um, in the in the defensive backfield, uh, for example, Maurice Carnell, the fourth was outstanding. He had a couple picks. He had a, a he broke up that touchdown, actually, um, that I, I guess would have been the second touchdown. No, that would have been the first touchdown for Hester. He made up for it later by by actually catching that gorgeous touchdown pass from uh, from McLeod Bethel Thompson. But yeah, Carnell, the fourth, he was a guy that was playing with Hamilton a season ago and couldn't get off the practice roster. They had moved him from corner to halfback and he was basically just, you know, a practice roster guy. He came in here and he made a real case for himself uh, as a, a player that's going to dress week to week. You you can't have a much better game as a, as a DB. No, he looked terrific. Uh, you know, again, he- I mean, it's nice to see. It's nice to see. You know, I mean, I love defense, and I loved, um, I loved their their adrenaline, and I loved how they got after the offense and essentially bullied the offense off the field. Um, you know, so I, I mean, I love that. I mean, nothing, nothing warms a, a defensive coach's heart more than um, the offense being bullied off the field. Um, so I, I enjoyed that very much. Um, I thought that they. You know, I thought that they, 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 you know, they know they're good. They know they're fast. Um, and they went out there and dominated. I, I don't hold that against the offense. Um, it's, it's the defense that we thought we saw sometimes last year, uh, but that we both feel like this year could be dominant. And, and that's how they look. They looked deep at, deep in the secondary. Um, they looked like they had a nice rotation at the line going. Um, you know, it's really just a question of of linebacker holding up because you know I I thought that they uh, I thought you know that could really be the identity of this team, which would be fantastic. Truthfully, what did you think about them having Chris Edwards out there with the starters at Sam? Because we expect him to be he he's got a six game suspension to start the season. Uh, we don't know exactly how that appeal process is going to work, but it's you know he's going to start the season uh, suspended. So, do you put him out there for these reps, or do you start working now? Uh, you know what your plan is going to be. Yeah, I, that's, that's a tricky. That's a tricky. Um, <clears throat> that's a tricky balance for sure. I think you're probably, you know, you, you can't have him not be involved in camp, right? I think you want him to feel like part of the team. I think you want. Um, you want him to have, you know, a sense of the install. Um, as you get closer, you're probably going to have to dial him back into twos. Um, but it made, it made sense to me to have him in the identity formation part of the year to have him out there. Cause I think he's going to be a crucial aspect of this, of this defense's identity. He's, you know, I've seen him look like a star. 
Um, and so that that makes sense to me. I think you want him out there to 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 take a leadership role, and then you know as your install gets gets a little better, you you you're, you're going to need to phase in um, the the starter for the first six. I expect Robertson Daniel to start the season at Sam, and for me, the the Chris Edwards playing with the starters makes sense because Robertson Daniel is starting there while. Uh, the Argos wait for Shaq to return from injury. And so when Shaq's ready to go, which we, we expect will be soon, I would imagine he'll play that boundary halfback spot and then Robertson Daniel will shift to the Sam. And that's probably, to me, how they'll begin the season. So I figure since Robertson Daniel's on the field anyway, he's getting halfback reps, which aren't that dissimilar to the Sam backer in the CFL. Um, then I don't really think there is much harm in, in having Chris Edwards there. You may as well get in the reps. You're, you're going to be counting on him, especially since this is a new or a slightly different uh, defensive system than what we've seen with Coach Mace installing his stuff this year. So, uh, yeah, I, I think the move makes sense. At first, I wasn't sure. And I was like, mm, I don't know if, I, if I'd have him out there or not. But, yeah, I think, I think you know, the more we talk it through, the more it makes sense to me. JB, let's end this segment with special teams. Uh I love that John Haggerty can punt that football like out of the stratosphere. Yeah. He, he, do do they do they go? Is this the plan? Because I think it is. I think he's going to be punting and Beatty's going to be kicking field goals. Uh, is that how it's going to be? Um, well, I, I think potentially, um, you know, that'll be a question of you know how you know. I, I think the issue will be is he is he that much better? Than what you're getting with just the one guy, and that that's not an easy thing to accomplish, you know. Like you're like, okay, he's better, but is he better every time? And how much better is he? Because at the end of the day, you know, if you're five yards better, um, you know, is that worth a position when you know BD can do it? You know, fine, right? So I think that's really the question: is what is the gap um, between those? between those two. So I, I don't, I don't think that's a lock. I think he's going to have to really, you know, either he is fantastic at coffin corner or he, his hang time is, is really like half a second better. It's going to have to be, I think it's going to have to be something pretty measurable. It makes sense to bring him in, but I think the, the value added is going to have to be serious to, to give up the, the perk of having one player uh, hold that position. I think his values increase because of the rule changes. You have to be so accurate as a punter now, because if if you punt directly out of bounds and it's not inside the fifteen, that's that's suddenly a penalty. Uh, we we know no yards is a penalty, so you want consistency. If you've got an inconsistent punter, it's so difficult on that coverage team not to get a no yards penalty because you're expecting to run to a certain depth. If it's ten yards short on this one punt, you're going to get called, and that's that's fifteen yards now, even if it's bouncing. So I think his his values increase because he is consistent. He is, uh, you know, able to really hang it up there. Uh, Beatty's a good punter, and you know we we saw last year. You know his his field goals are you know the best in the league. His kickoffs the best in the league. His punting was good, so you can get away with it. But I think I, I do think he's going to be out there. And if he is, we saw one of Boris Beatty's field goal attempts where John Haggerty was the holder. And I've been on that for a long time now. Stop sending McLeod Bethel Thompson out there to hold the field goals. I get that 
he was the guy last year because he was the backup quarterback starting the season. The plan was Nick Arbuckle. So it made sense to me that McLeod Bethel Thompson was the holder and they didn't want to disrupt it mid-season because Beattie was was setting records. So you don't want him to suddenly go and change his holder. It doesn't work like that. But man, they've got to find another solution. And it, it drives me up the wall that McLeod Bethel Thompson was still holding for Beattie for I think all but one kick at that scrimmage, Haggerty should either be out there every time or someone else who you know is going to be on the team, send him out there to hold. Um, ideally, it's the punter. Like that's the most ideal situation is the punter holds for the kicker because those two guys can work on that all practice long, uh, whereas you can't do that necessarily with somebody else. So um, I'm hoping Haggerty's the punter, Beatty's the kicker, and Haggerty is also the holder. That would be a huge win for me. <laughs> All right, JB, let's get to the CBA update. We'll make this quick. This will sort of be a brief one. But um, the, the big deal for me is that the union seems sort of divided at this point because, you know, you've, you've, you know, you, you know a lot about contract negotiations and, and union uh, bargaining and everything else. Um, it's pretty unusual for the bargaining team to approve a deal, to send it back to their membership and have it voted down, isn't it? Very unusual. Um, usually, um, you know, uh, the 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 negotiators are usually um, m- have a much higher threshold than than the membership, right? Like that's the nature of it. Is that and that's why you want good negotiators because they're looking for more than what the membership as a whole will settle for. So, you know, usually when they send something back, you know, from being involved in the negotiations, like. When your negotiator sends you something back, that's basically them saying it is our belief that there is no better deal to be had. Not like, oh, there might be a better deal. It's like this is this is as good as it's going to get. Um, and, you know, usually you kind of have to hold your nose and uh, and take it and move on. Um, <laughs> they clearly had a breakdown in the temperature of the rooms. Um, I don't know whether that was because like they teams haven't really been in camp and maybe team reps couldn't really get a sense of 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 what was happening or or maybe they weren't having like group meetings to kind of get a sense of this divided locker room um it's pretty surprising and uh, and I think largely because uh, lots of people didn't vote and probably all the canadian players did vote because they were really upset about something and the other you know members of the CFL uh did not and that's one of the reasons why it didn't pass yeah i gather the canadian players seem most upset about the the ratio issues and the idea that you could have three naturalized uh, canadians uh you know americans who had had been playing the cfl for a period of time come in for a percentage of snaps and i guess to canadian players this seemed like too much of a concession um, as opposed to what had previously been proposed where you're talking about uh, six canadians and then the, the seventh could be a, a naturalized uh, Canadian. So, uh, yeah, that, that could be the issue. And maybe maybe it's not that the bargaining team misjudged the, the temperature of the room, as you said. Maybe it's just that they had counted on 100% of the vote. And maybe if they'd had 100% of the membership voting, maybe it would have passed. So that's, you know, we, we don't know. We're just speculating uh, about this. But yeah, now we're in a situation where a proposal uh, has... Uh, gone 
back to the players now from the league with some changes that were made. Uh, it was John Hodge from Three Down that that broke that, I believe, last night. And the players have until Thursday night, basically, to decide whether or not they're going to go ahead with this. And for the Argos, it's, it's weird because they've got a, a game on Friday. Uh, so you'd like to be in Ottawa uh, by the time you're going to find out whether or not this this deal is going to go through. I just, I hate the timeline of this. And as a coach, this, I, I would be pulling my hair out trying to deal with this where you don't even know for sure that there's going to be a game. And yet you're trying to game plan, not just game plan. You're trying to game plan with a roster of 104 players um, trying to sort out who's getting playing time when, coming up with schedules and, you know, who's hurt, who's not, who do we really need to see, communicating with all your positional coaches. This is a, a nightmare scenario for Coach Dinwiddie uh, to go on top of everything else. Uh, I, I, but I think in all honesty, I think this will be fine. I think that, um, you know, hopefully nobody overplays their hand. I think the Canadian players stood up because they felt like what had been sent back wasn't great. That's, that's not great for the Players Association. I don't know who's on the negotiating table or how many Canadians are on the negotiating table or what have you, um, but they certainly seem to underestimate um, how you know how that would be received. You know that basically you're, you're kind of taking a chunk out of this uh, ratio and you're not really giving us much. Um, so obviously that wasn't going to be well received. I can't imagine uh, how the negotiating table thought. You know, touching the touching that rail was not going to be a problem uh, without having something quite rich to offer. So that that surprised me that they thought that that wouldn't elicit a, a really strong unified response from the Canadian perspective. So I hope it gets done Thursday um, because, you know, I think the we don't want the PA split in half and I don't think we want teams split in half with American guys angry at the Canadian guys who are angry at the American guys. Um, so hopefully they took a step back. They gave the Canadians, um, a little bit of ground and hopefully we can, you know, not overplay the hand. Let's just move on and, and accept that there was a, a bit of give, but not nothing too destructive. Let's assume the preseason game in Ottawa takes place. So we've now arrived at Friday night. Toronto's at Ottawa for this preseason game. We've kind of got a sense from talking to Coach Dinwiddie that we're not going to see a lot of veterans in this game. There are some new veteran players. Do you think they should be out there? Or are you completely fine with fielding a team of entirely seconds, thirds, etc.? Well, uh, I think that... I, I'd like to see the ones um, through the first half. I think that's I think that's fair. I think that's legitimate. I don't, you know, like in terms of injuries, I don't know. Can you can you really hide from injuries? You know, you could not play the preseason. The first play of the game hurts something uh, in the regular season. So, yeah, I hope ones and twos play a lot just because if there are guys on the bubble, you can't get a look when threes and fours are playing. You know, you just... Either the quarterback is not giving you the ball, or if you're throwing the ball, you're not getting the receiver. The line is not holding up. You know, everything kind of goes south. Uh, and you can't get any evaluation because you're also playing against threes and fours. So it's a, a bit of a misnomer, I think, in terms of the evaluation is 
the only time anybody's being evaluated is when they're playing against ones and twos. No, nothing that happens after that is worth uh, watching. You just turn off your TV or, you know, read a book, go for a walk. I don't expect to see McLeod Bethel-Thompson out there more than a series, if at all, uh, especially if he's not 100%. And, you know, it's hard to say at this point how oh, he's gosh, feeling. He but No way. He was wearing a pillow on his leg. I know, but you're saying send your ones out there. He's a one. Well, uh, everybody else but him. Okay. But then do you say, you send your whole offensive line out there yes. too? Yeah, for the first half, 100%. Uh, I, don't, I don't think I do. I, I think anybody that I know is going to be a starter, I don't put in this game. I think you put you put all of your twos and they play a half and then you start trickling in other players uh, through the third and fourth quarter. Because you've got another preseason game, the the game in Guelph against Hamilton. There I would maybe, because remember, we've got roster cuts that are coming uh, essentially right after this game against Ottawa. And so those are, those are the decisions you have to make. So spend this whole game. That's what this is for. It's on the road too. It's it's ideal. So put all the guys that you're not sure about in as much playing time as you, you possibly can. Uh, watch that film really carefully. Go over and over and over it. Then you make your cuts. Now the team's trimmed down. And now let's take a look at, okay, these are the guys we do have. Now let's look at the starters. Now let's look at the seconds. And that can be the second preseason game. So, yeah, I don't care if we, we don't see a single snap from any starter on Friday. That's fine with me as long as they can still evaluate what they do have out there. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the Exodus and Argos podcast. Make sure you tune in after the game Friday night. We will give you it all following the game. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.